Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Good morning. It is 8.30 on Wall Street. I'm Michael McKee, along with Tom Keene. Economic Indicators brought to you by Commonwealth Financial Network. When it's time to change the conversation, talk with a broker-dealer, RIA, that's ready to listen. Call 866-462-3638 or visit Commonwealth.com to learn more. You're you're very anxious. Do, to, do we need our own PMI? Everyone else has one. Or the, the surveillance PMI. <laughs> the surveillance PMI yeah. brought to you by. Is your Fulmer, is that a good idea that we should have a surveillance PMI? <laughs> I think so. Well, we have a U.S. PMI. We call it the Institute for Supply Management Manufacturing Index. It's due out at 10 a.m. this morning, uh, a later release this morning for you. On the Bloomberg Advantage, 50.3 is the forecast. 50.8 was last month. Help me here. It's a diffusion index, 50.0 center tendency. Mike, does 49.9 signal the end of the world? Uh, no. Uh, it's generally written, of course, that... Uh, uh, anything below 50 indicates contraction. That's actually not true. Statistically, it's more like 42. Yes, thank you. Uh, I knew, but, I knew, Volmer, I knew where, Volmer, are you wearing your Sydney Crosby jersey again? I can't believe it. <laughs> oh, you're making lots of enemies with that. Uh, and we also got construction spending, 10 o'clock this morning. This afternoon at 2 p.m., the Federal Reserve releases its beige book. And, yes. of course, uh, today is auto sales day. We are keeping an eye on are the automakers and uh, waiting for them to release their results. Uh, so far, we have not heard from the big three. The forecast is for a 17.3 million rate uh, in, in the wards um, index, and uh, that would yeah. be about the same as last <clears throat> month. Kevin Tynan scheduled to be with us in the next hour. We'll talk about that. He knows uh, how to use a clutch. It has been a, it, it is PMI day it around is. the world. Everybody has been reporting their manufacturing numbers, and uh, I think we use the economic term meh. Uh, to describe yeah. the results we've been getting. Uh, William Lee, head of North American Economics for City Research, uh, is one of the founders of the Meh School of uh, PMI reporting. He's Neo-Meh. He's Neo-Meh. <laughs> <laughs> Are we going to get anything to write home about? I mean, if you look, uh, Bill, at the, uh, at, at the, the regional PMI or Federal Reserve equivalents around the country, it kind of points to not such a good month uh, here in the U.S. Absolutely. In fact, Mike, I'm glad you mentioned um, where where the PMIs have to be in order to really show some contraction, and it's in the, in the low 40s. And, and we're coming out with a number that says we would expect 49.4. Yeah? And so we have a four-handle, uh, a little bit below 50, uh, and it's one of these, yeah, who cares? I mean, you know, I think people make a big deal of PMI around the world because in some countries where manufacturing is a big deal, um, in the, especially in the emerging markets, it's a, a very important number because manufacturing is a big deal in the economy. In the U.S., manufacturing is not that big a deal um, now, and and you know it's it's eight under ten percent of GDP and employment. Um, but the the reason why I think manufacturing has become such a big deal is because the nature of the recovery we've had so far is that most of the job growth has been in these lower wage sectors like retail, hospitality, and healthcare that pay under seven hundred fifty dollars a week uh, on average. But manufacturing is one of these above average manuf- uh, pay pay sectors, and so when you lose a job there, you need you know more like one and a half to two jobs to make up for it. That's why it's important because it helps to to boost the 
consumption that we need so badly to keep the recovery going. And, and so for me, I look at the PMI numbers and say, uh, show me the employment numbers first, um, because manufacturing uh, PMI is, is, I think, one of these soft numbers, as far as I'm concerned, in the Thank U.S. Thank you. But, but Thank a you. very important number in places like China, where you don't have much data to go on, and, and that's one of the harder of the data you got. Well, you're an economist, so you look at the number and you figure out the statistical relationship between that number and the U.S. economy's growth rate. Uh, People sitting at trading desks look at a four-handle and think, oh, my God, we're all going to die. Uh, oh, are you kidding me? I mean, why, why do you think I put out a notice yesterday saying, hey, our, once we got Chicago and, and we saw that the regional PMIs were coming in weak, we immediately told our trading colleagues, hey, be prepared for a forehandle. So because these guys are, are trading on, on decimal points, uh, regardless of whether or not they mean anything for the economy, they mean something for other people trading, and that means they've got to beat out the other guy who's trading them. So I, it's, it's sort okay. of like in the sunspots. But, uh, well, thank you. I was going to uh, – shout out to Evan Soltis of Princeton, who I think he passed Mike. He did pretty good in getting out. They dragged him out of Princeton this week in economics, and I told him, Bill Lee, to do sunspots like William Stanley Jevons. I mean, that's what every good economist needs to do is consider sunspots. Does any of this correlate to GDP? Does a PMI frenzy actually assist you or Willem Bowder in figuring out GDP? <laughs> because uh, you know, I, 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 manufacturing is too small to, to matter that much, but it is big enough so that if I see job losses there, it will matter because I'm okay. going to have to find a lot of job growth in the no, other sectors to make up for it. Okay. Well, okay. you said that uh, uh, we got about a minute here. Um, it, it matters a lot to traders who are you know going to panic if we get a four handle. But does it matter to Janet Yellen? Ah, that's the key. That's the key. And I'm glad you guys brought it up because right now all the data up to this week have been showing really optimistic, really rosy scenario, right? But now we suddenly start to get some not-so-rosy scenarios. And Janet Yellen has yet to tell us where she stands because if she had taken the the same uh, mood uh, attack that she took in October, she would have said – at the next meeting, we're ready to move. The members are ready to move. All we saw in the minutes was a coded message that said, we have a division within the FOMC, and I can't handle the division because I don't even have enough of a consensus to put that message that was in the minutes into the statement. So we have to wait three weeks for us to find out, by the way, most participants wanted to move. And what we see now is most participants were the, 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 the regional presidents. They want to move, but we have yet to hear from the governors, particularly Brainerd, Torillo, Fisher. Right, uh, and 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 that to me is the core of it. Janet Yellen herself will grab to any mm-hmm. excuse she, to to keep things loose, well, and right now she doesn't have the votes on the board. Let's come back with William Lee of Citigroup. He's got some very good research here, some themes to talk about on the American economy. The yen one hundred nine twenty six stability and a stronger yen this morning. Time to check in now with Michael Barr and get the latest world and national headlines. Michael. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. Have crews found the all-important black boxes from a doomed Egypt airplane? A French Navy ship picked up signals that may be coming from one of the flight recorders on Egypt Air Flight 804, which crashed into the Mediterranean last month. Egypt's Ministry of Civil Aviation says once located, a ship from deep ocean search will join the search team within a week to retrieve the boxes. 
The Airbus A320 crashed, killing all 66 people on board. There's new guidance from the Navy for sailors and their families on how to protect themselves from the Zika virus. Bloomberg's Amy Morris has more from our Washington Bureau. The Navy has updated its information in connection with the advice from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention with guidance for installation commanders on how to work with local officials to prevent mosquito infestations on bases and in base housing. The outbreak is so far contained at the Pacific Islands, Caribbean, throughout Central America and South America, putting Navy and Marine Corps personnel there at risk. Amy Morris, Bloomberg Radio, Washington. President Obama will travel to Elkhart, Indiana today to tout the city's resurgence in the motor home industry. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike, Tom? Thank you, Michael. Time now for the Land Rover Parsippany Bloomberg NBC Sports Update with John Stashauer. John? Thanks, Mike. It was looking like a Mets victory. They led 4 nothing in the sixth inning against the White Sox team. They lost seven in a row. They had Steven Matz on the mound going for an eighth straight win. But Todd Frazier, homer in the sixth inning off Matz, is 16th of the year. And then in the eighth... Here's a swing and a high fly ball left. This is tagged. Going back to the track. To the wall, it's gone. Saladino just hit his third home run. And the White Sox now lead at 5-4. to four. Four White Sox radio the call. Hansel Robles took the loss. He came in after a scoreless inning of relief by Noah Syndergaard, pitched out of the pen since his start was cut short the other day when he got tossed. Day game today at City Field. David Wright to miss a few more games, but not going on the disabled list. Not now, anyway. Wright's got a neck injury. Mets two back of Washington, who beat Philadelphia five to one. The Yankees five losses in seven games have fallen seven and a half back of the Red Sox. Yanks follow the 4-2 loss, losing 4-1 at Toronto. CC Sabathia pitched well but suffered the loss when the normally reliable Dellen Batances replaced him in the seventh inning, gave up a go-ahead hit to Kevin Pillar, a two-run single to Darwin Barney. Yankee bats, again, extremely quiet. Yanks say Dustin Ackley done for the year, torn labrum. Boston, meanwhile, won 6-2 at Baltimore. Mookie Betts, three home runs. French Open today, Novak Djokovic a winner. Serena Williams has won. Venus Williams lost. With Bloomberg NBC Sports Update, I'm John Stashen. John, thanks so much. Futures negative seven, Dow futures negative 66. We need to tell you the yields are in to four digits, a 10 year, 1.8180, the two year with an 86 handle, 0.86%. That gets my attention. German yields lower as well. A negative 0.517 on the German two year shows really globally yields lower and prices higher. A sogginess. Over the last 18 hours, gold, uh, 1219, make it 1220 on the ounce. And really front and center today, yen weakness, not near a 108. Excuse me, yen strength, 109.25, Big figures, stronger yen this morning. Tom Keene and Michael McKee, we're with William Lee of Citigroup on America's Economy. The Jobs Report, Friday, Bloomberg Surveillance. The Sports Report brought to you by Land Rover Parsippany. If it's in your nature to cast off the everyday and seek adventure, the Discovery Sport was built to help your search. Visit LandRoverParsippany.com or 1-800-FIND-4WD. Land Rover, above and beyond. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. 
And I'm Farrah in Moscow. This update's brought to you by American Arbitration Association. International trade or business dispute resolve faster with the International Center for Dispute Resolution, the leader in alternative dispute resolution around the world, ICDR.org. U.S. stock index futures are lower this morning after the S&P 500 capped its longest monthly rally since 2014. This comes amid evidence of sluggish growth, global growth this morning. Investors are, meanwhile, awaiting a report on manufacturing activity in the world's biggest economy. And we check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P E-mini futures down 7 points. Dow E-mini futures down 67. And NASDAQ E-mini futures are down 12. The DAX in Germany is down 8 tenths percent. Ten-year Treasury up 8.30 seconds. The yield 1.81 percent. Yield on the two-year 0.86 percent. NYMEX crude oil down 1.3 percent or 63 cents to 48.47 a barrel. COMEX gold up a tenth of a percent or a dollar 20 to 12.1870 an ounce. The euro, $1.1180. The yen, 109.26. Michael Kors Holdings up more than 7% in early trading. It reported fourth quarter earnings that beat analyst estimates after new products helped draw customers to its stores. And Salesforce.com, which sells business productivity software, agreed to buy Demandware, a provider of cloud commerce services, in a deal worth about $2.8 billion. Demandware is up 56% this morning. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, uh, thank you so much. It is 8.40. On Wall Street. The following is from Bloomberg View. Opinions and commentary from Bloomberg columnists. I'm Megan McArdle, a columnist for Bloomberg View. A few weeks ago, a judge ruled against the administration in the matter of the cost-sharing subsidies for Obamacare. These aren't the subsidies that reduce premiums for everyone below a certain income level. It's another set of subsidies. This one aimed at people earning less than 250% of the poverty line, which keeps their out-of-pocket expenses lower as long as they buy a qualifying silver plan. The House of Representatives did not appropriate money for the paying of these subsidies, and when the administration went ahead and gave insurers the money anyway, the House sued. Now it appears Republicans and the judge are not the only folks who think that the administration's actions are illegal. A report in the New York Times this weekend says the IRS told the administration they had no legal authority to spend the money. Beginning in 2013, an IRS agent testified he and his supervisor began combing through the law looking for readings that might support the administration's plan. According to the Times, they came up empty. Obama's hardly the first president to rely on expansive readings of laws to increase an executive of power. But this goes a little beyond expansive readings, and if the courts rule, as they may well, that the legislature has no power to sue to stop it, then Americans are left with an unpalatable question. What's the point of having laws at all if the powers that be can't be compelled to follow them? I'm Megan McArdle. For more View, please go to BloombergView.com or View Go on the Bloomberg Terminal. This has been Bloomberg View. And Bloomberg View commentary can be heard hourly weekdays on Bloomberg Radio. We're thrilled to bring you William Lee of Citigroup working with Willem Bowder. A cautious view on the global economy, more optimism on what's going on in the U.S. Billy, uh, you lead your paragraph of your research note off on something that, without question, gets us a lot of mail. Maybe not a record mail, but it's right up there with gold, and that is the wage in America. You talk about average hourly earnings. You talk about your preferred ECI. I believe there's 12 other ways to measure wage growth. Do we have wage growth? The vast majority of our listeners say uh, maybe not. 
the only place I found wage acceleration, right, wage, the growth in the pace of increase in wages was in the near minimum wage, $15 an hour type jobs. Outside of that category, maybe you can find something in the specialized construction skills like plumbers, framers, and roofers. But outside, of, but, but the rest of the economy is, is really having very, very little wage inflation um, and, and, and certainly no acceleration of wages, which is what the Fed is really looking for because we don't want relative wage changes to move monetary policy because relative wage changes means we have to shuffle people from one sector to another because there are shortages there. What the Fed is looking for is a sustained cost increase that leads to companies pushing up prices, and that we haven't seen. Yeah, Michael, I mean, that's beautifully said. And, Michael, that's really the heart of it, isn't it? Well, the question is, does that start to change? The Fed is of the view that we are moving in that direction, that uh, we're going to see more uh, wage gains for a broader selection of people. And that's key, Mike. The, the, the Fed is not of the view. The, Fed, the, view, the view at the Fed is split. The hawks are saying we are seeing signs that the, the tightness in the labor market will lead to that at, at some point really soon. The doves are saying, show me. Show me that we actually have the wage increases and price increases before we start to move, because so far we've been bushwhacked all along the way. Mike, I don't mean to jump in here, but I think this is an important distinction. What you just said is neither of them can see it, right? Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and the key is we've, the, uh, the doves have lost faith in the Phillips curve. Now, the, as you know, Tom, the Phillips curve has been declared dead since I was in graduate school, and that was many, many decades ago. But now the, the nature of the deadness of the Phillips curve is that it, the slope is so shallow. In other words, it takes a lot of change in slack to generate a little bit of wage inflation or a little bit of price inflation. And, and there is the mystery. Where is the slack? How much slack is there? And, and, and Janet Yellen says there's a lot of slack because we don't see the wage increases. We don't even see signs of it across the board. We only see pockets of it, which is where shortages are. And, and that's the debate within the FOMC right now. Well, what's your view of what they're going to do in the next couple of months? I find this fascinating. Uh, Fri- Friday, we had strong retail sales. Yesterday, we had strong personal income and spending numbers and a sign that inflation was rising in the PCE numbers. And the probability of a rate increase in June or July has gone below 50%. Nothing has happened. <laughs> but they're, the market's now pricing out the Fed. No kidding. And, 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 and because the markets know they can push the Fed around, the big event, of course, is going to be this Friday. What will the employment numbers be? Because both sides are looking for evidence to shore up their arguments. Uh, a number like 140, which is what we're calling for, is going to cause a lot of people to stir. Now, remember, there's 35,000 workers on strike, so we have to add that back in. So our call for 140 is really a 175 call, and that to me is pretty okay. It's where, where business as usual, but that's not enough to give the the hawks, yeah. the, the, the smoking gun, and it's certainly not enough to say we don't have enough. Oh, and so we could have more debate at the next meeting. But we can also have a debate with you or a discussion with you that is informed with your work at the IMF. You're on the Hong Kong and Singapore watch. You've done uh, work at the Fed as well. Uh, Dr. Lee, very simple here. If, if we don't know where we're going, if we really don't observe wage growth, what can be the proactive policy of a Fed, or do they just wait and wait and wait and, and that wait? is the critical mistake the Fed is making, because what we need is leadership. We need a Volcker that says, 
I know that keeping rates at zero is the wrong thing for an economy that's coasting above potential. So I got to start normalizing rates. Now, to take that kind of leadership requires a lot of dissent within the committee and putting up a lot of dissent until you start to see the, the, the stuff go your way or clear evidence that it's not going your way. What we don't have at the Fed right now is that kind of strong leadership. Instead, we have consensus leadership, and consensus leadership means rudderless. And in fact, not only rudderless, it's being dictated by China, the markets, and everything else that's, that should not be pushing monetary policy. How's that for a tie rate? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Does Jenny Yellen have that kind of uh, either courage or, or the Fed behind her? Well, from uh, I mean, Chair Yellen is 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 a, is with a staffer just like me. She learned the rules of the game just like me. You don't let the first release of data push you around, and you don't let the markets push you around. So far, she's she has taken the bait of the markets to say, "I'm not going to move until I know you guys won't get angry at me." And 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 I think that shows the influence of market-based thinking that has infiltrated its way into the board staff and the analysis that's being done to to inform her of her judgments, and and. To me, that's dangerous because we've lost track of where the macroeconomy is. We no longer have monetary policy anchored by macro fundamentals, and we're allowing the, the markets and, and, and the, 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 the overreactions in the markets to push monetary policy around. Well, does, uh, d- does that stop, or are we going to see a big battle between now and June 15th? <laughs> I think one of the great characteristics of Cheryl Yellen is that she can pull a consensus together. Um, we have split the, we have a division within the, the FOMC right now. I think what she's going to do at the next meeting is to say, we have a lot of evidence. The Hawks have been very, very vocal. Uh, and I think it's time to start indicating that we are ready to move. And this is a great window of opportunity because why lose it now? In June and July, you've got this great opportunity to move either one month or the other. Uh, more likely in July because the market pricing is only 28%, as you mentioned before for June, so so likely July or September, all right? But we got to somehow indicate to the markets we're ready and we're going to do it and we're going to follow through. That's something that's been missing from every meeting because data dependency uh, does well, not has, has has really been event driven, not data right. driven. Very quickly here, can they do that and affect a feeling of a one move rate, and then we'll observe, or by definition, does it signal a vector in a measured approach? They've got to produce a credible vector, Tom. And, They've and, got to and produce what, a vector. Because they did it in December, and it was not credible, right? They said, Agreed. go to the next year, and, and they blew it. Uh, now they've got to come up with a rationale <clears throat> that says we have the following vector, and the following contingencies would knock us off the vector and right. stay to those contingencies. Fascinating. Billy, thank you so much. With Citigroup, always, always informative. Mike, the, the vector stuff, there's physics talk for what's the direction and give us the language wrapped around the direction. I, I don't observe any vector. I deserve complete data dependency. Where am I, June 13th, June 14th? Well, June 15th is the is the meeting. Yeah, but they'll get the vector established June 13th. What do you got there? Headline out. Uh, first automaker to report, Fiat Chrysler, oh. May U.S. auto sales were up 1.1%. The forecast was a uh, drop of 7 mm-hmm. tenths. So Fiat Chrysler keeps their string going another yeah. up month for them. And um, we'll see if yeah. if that translates to the other automakers. The auto reports dribble out during the day. We'll have coverage of that across all of Bloomberg Radio. Futures in negative 8. <laughs> 